What are you talking about OnlyFans? Who has OnlyFans? Not me. I always had air conditioners upstairs, downstairs. And I don't use the fans. Today you don't use it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes. You're listening to Sick and Ron. The Sick and Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Dee Simon. Hello, comrades. I am Kit Rambo. Kit Rambo. Hiya. Hi. My Prius is dying. The Prius. The rabbi's Prius. The rabbi's I've, Prius is on its last legs. I was the deaf curse to the rabbi's Prius, I think. Well, when we were, in, when we were driving to Vegas, the last road trip for the Prius... Um, it died, Last. died on, uh, about, I don't know, 10 miles out, about 20 miles outside of Vegas, but near Terrible's Casino, wherever that is. You know what, my, cause I took some pictures in that little casino, uh, cause I, I was obviously documenting the moment. The town is called True. So the Prius kind of started to die in a little town called True. Well, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was starting to die then. I noticed this as we were driving over the mountains to get to Las Vegas. The Prius was really struggling. It was just Bless like it was, so very, and it was very disconcerting. You remember that? It was like it would it it was just sounded like it was like like it was it just couldn't go. It, it, it had no acceleration, and uh, so I was definitely nervous about that. And then just weird lights come on the Prius because they're very cryptic. You don't really know what they mean. It's a weird, like, uh, I don't know, we had, like, AC on, we were listening to the radio or whatever, and then all of a sudden, every fucking light on that dashboard came up, and then the car just started dying, and it wouldn't accelerate, and just, we just were coasting. Coasted about, probably two miles, maybe, three miles, till we got to a gas station and pulled off, and just left the, you know, shut the car off for about 20 minutes. Won some money. We did win money. We did money. But that's the beauty of uh, Las Vegas is you can uh, gamble at like a fucking like gas station. Um, I think yeah, that's I think also we won, like, a very 60 good like, moral tale of Vegas that you can be at your lowest moment, but then you can be right back up to your highest moment. You know, the Prius was dead, but there we are winning money inside of a fucking gas station. Well, so my biggest concern was that it's the Prius battery. So Priuses have two batteries. They have a regular battery. It's their auxiliary battery. It's like a regular one. It costs like 200 bucks to replace. But then they have the hybrid battery. And the hybrid battery is pretty much like the transmission of a normal car. When your hybrid battery goes, your car is fucked. And so those things cost a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to get replaced. So I, I took it into uh, the shop um, I usually go to these like sketchy Russians that uh, I've been going to them for years. They're sketchy, but they do a good job and they're yeah. pretty honest about it. Well, it turns out they sold the place to this like uh, Arabic dude who's fucking really cool. Gary. Gary's super Gary. cool. Gary the Arab. Gary. He's like a Simpsons character. <laughs> he's, so, he's so cool. And so Gary <laughs> took over the, the places. It's way less sketchier now too. That was the other funny thing about the Russians. They're always just like, I'm like, uh, how much is the repair? $900. You pay cash. So it's like, no, it's $900. Okay, well, uh, then we charge they you fees for using card. And I'm like, 
who has nine hundred dollars? Like he goes, you go to bank. I'm just like it's just weird. It's weird that you're trying to get me to pay cash for this. It's a European um, thing, mate. I, I'm fully behind it. Although well, I do not carry cash, they can do what they like. Gary <laughs> was fine with me using a visa. Gary um, the Arab. But anyway, Gary uh, was saying that it's probably going to cost with parts of labor about $2,800 to replace the battery. And this car is a 2007 Prius with about 100, I don't know, 60,000 miles on it. So what's the point? You know, what's the point of like putting in more money into this thing? So I'm kind of bummed about it. So I was like, you know, I guess I got to like look at cars now. And I just don't, I've never really given a shit. The only car I want is a 1978 uh, you know, Firebird Trans Am. I, I want one of those. With the T-bar roof. Yeah, like I, I want, that's what I've always wanted. It's not a feasible car for LA. And I don't really know much about cars. I, I've never have, I've not been a, a car person. You know, all my cars pretty much have been hand-me-downs. And so, you know, the, the Prius I got when my dad died and I just and it's never less, replaced I'm it. I'm happy I got to meet the rabbi's Prius and got to be driven around in it. Did 53, you know, 53 miles per gallon in LA Especially now when like, gas costs seven bucks a gallon. It's like, no, nah, it's a great car to have. Um, but Priuses uh, apparently are really hard to come by these days. Anyway, I went to uh, the Toyota dealership in Van Nuys to try to like familiarize myself with cars. And it's such a fucking weird experience. Like, it's so, you, have you ever bought a used car? Like went to like a, a, a lot? Well, obviously. I've been to lots of friends when they're like buying your cars, parents. but I'm a virgin who can't drive. But I know exactly what cars I like and what cars I would get if given the choice. And I judge cars on probably a different scale to you because I judge it on how chavvy a car is. And to me, <laughs> the chavier a car, the better. You don't want to be driving the dad mobiles. You want to be driving the chav cars. But was, Toyota's what's a are chav pretty good because they have a lot it, of chavvy versions. But is it what makes a car chavvy? Is I guess what I'm wondering. The way it looks, the way it drives, like and are the traps driving them? Are the boy racers racing them in uh, doing donuts at nighttime in parking lots? That's what makes it chavvy. To me, the chavier the car, the better. You don't want to be driving like fucking beamers, even though old beamers are great. Modern beamers, they're for dads, and you're not a dad. You don't want to be driving them. You don't want to be driving like news flash. You want to be driving a mixed turbo. I'm dad age. I don't know if you know this, but you're not dad Um, age looking or in spirit. Yeah, but I would look retarded driving around like a Toyota CR2 that's all like decked out. Like I, I really would. I'd look like Steve Buscemi. Like, hey kids. Yeah, but you want to drive a trans. a Firebird Trans Am. That vintage car. Dwight out the office drives one of them. That's a that's a vintage car. And same with like an old Dodge Charger. I'd love a 19, like 72 Dodge Charger. I, I would love a Dodge Charger. Oh, I'd love that. I mean, those are vintage cars, but they're not feasible for driving in LA. So anyway, I had to look around and, and see, what, see what cars are available right. these days. And so you go there, you go to the, go to the dealership, the, the Toyota dealership. I pull in, they're like, and they, the sales guy, uh, this really huge African guy, huge. He was probably like 6'8", was just like, how can I help you? And I'm like, I'm here to look at cars. He's Duh. like, he just, he just kind of laughed. He's like, okay, there they are. And it was so weird. Like <laughs> he didn't even like try to talk me up or sell the cars. Like I was like, this car looks interesting. What's, what's good about this car? He's like, I don't know. Let me see. And he's looking up on his phone and I'm like, well, can we look inside? He's like, well, that means I'd have to go get the keys. 
I'm like, well, no shit. How else are we going to get inside the fucking car? <laughs> no, I'll just break the window yeah. and get us both in. It'll be fine. But they, they had a, you know, it's, it's really weird right now because the used car market is insane. Like used cars cost the same as new cars. It's, it's because of the supply and demand from the coronavirus and the supply chain issues. The used cars are crazy expensive. Like way more than they used to be, which fucking sucks. Um, but I, I saw some cars I'd never heard of, like the Mazda CX-5 I kind of like. I, I, I do like a Mazda, about, very sporty. I don't know if people know about the Mazda CX-5. That, that one looked kind of cool. Um, they had a Subaru Impreza. That Subarus, uh, Subarus are not bad cars. They're a bit lesbian-y. Lesbians drive Subarus. Maybe, but you know I'm impressed with one ever since P-Town. P-Town... Always drives uh, Subaru. P-Town also kind of looks like a lesbian. He's like one of those dudes that's looking like a very tall one. Um, but he was driving with that. his wife and uh, uh, two of their friends downtown. And some kid, like a 17-year-old kid, just ran right through a red light going 50 miles an hour. T-boned P-Town in his Prius. Like hit him, you know, T-boned right at the side. Broad, like in the car. And uh, totaled the, the vehicle. No one was injured. That that's yeah, a sign good. of a very sturdy, good car. Whereas my car, I bet you with the Prius, if someone T-boned me going 50 miles an hour, I probably would have been pretty fucked up. Well, you know, one of my dream cars is a 1992 Toyota MR2 in white. I want it particularly in white with the flippy uppy lights. Uh, yeah, that would totally get totaled. But for the yeah, amount of years would. that I would have been driving that around looking swish as fuck, it's worth it. Well, it's I don't know. How often do you get T-boned by cars? You know, I don't think that happens all that often. I'm not knock on wood, but I don't think it happens all that often. Um, I liked uh, they had an Audi A6. Audi, another great. That's that's very high on the chav factor. I like it. I like Audi. I think they're good. Cool car. I just don't know if yeah. uh, like gas mileage wise and and also like you got to think about foreign cars like that. Like repairing them usually costs a lot of money. Like Porsches. I always heard they cost a lot of money to repair. I'm not the biggest fan of Porsches. I do like all the 50s and 60s Porsches. Yeah, I love old There's no Porsches. way I can ever be rich enough to afford <laughs> one of them. I mean, come on. Yeah, the 1960s ones, the 1970s ones are really cool. Um, I know you don't like Lexuses. I don't know why, but the, they had a Lexus uh, like hybrid, the sport hybrid that was pretty fucking cool looking. I do not like Lexuses because that's the car that Alan Partridge wishes he could drive, wishes he could afford. And uh, he Alan has Partridge a can afford that. No, not on his salary, although he does have a free-figure income. <laughs> he can't yeah, afford he a can Lexus. Afford. He, can't he has afford to settle a for a Beamer. <laughs> um, I don't know. They, that, but that car, that fucking, this Lexus, uh, too, which was a hybrid, too, I think it's 54 miles per gallon. And it's way cooler looking than the Prius. All black, black leather interior. They wanted $39,000 for this fucking car. Uh, no, no, no amount of money can make me pay for a Lexus. If someone was like, "Here's a Lexus or a Fiver," I'd be like, "No." Well, okay. I didn't know this, but apparently Lexuses are also made by Toyota, but they're the luxury line. I think the plural of Lexus is Lexi. Lexi. <laughs> the Lexi. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do about it, and like the whole process of like buying a car and doing all this stuff. It's so uh, my friend that I work with, I mentioned before, the Indian guy, um, Sanjay, was just like. You find your car, we'll go down there, I'll haggle. He loves to haggle. I will get haggle. 10 grand off. It's in the blood day. It is in the blood. I think if me and Sanjay went together, you would have like the look of it. Because you're not as good a haggler. 
I'm not a bad I'm not a bad haggler, but I'm a little out of my elements with cars because I just don't know much about them. But Sanjay's bought a lot of cars, and he was sitting here telling me. First of all, he's trying to get me to buy a Tesla, which I'm not going to do because I can't. <laughs> uh, but I mark my words, people. Cars. Fifteen years from now, everybody's going to have an electric car. Well, all I cars are going to be electric. Look nicer than they do now because they're ugly as fuck. But he was saying he was just like, I'll make sure that I get you ten thousand dollars off, and he's just like, you watch me. He's like, you pick a car you like. We'll go get there. We'll go. We'll go get that. And I was like, "Well, I got. I got to trade my car in anyway." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. You sell your car on Craigslist." I'm like, "I'm not going to do that." Could you? No. The, the, could you imagine dealing with that? Having people that coming over to your house. That is an extra level of Indian that I don't have in me. I would never do that because you've got to put up with people messaging you, coming to your house, and then six Driving months from now you'll get an around. angry email off a college college age graduate when she's writing to you saying ever since i bought this car up here it has broken down 18 times i am absolutely disgusted you would sell this car i'm annoyed with the whole process i was gonna go do deal with it today again because i went yesterday to a couple dealerships but i'm just fucking annoyed i i hate buying a new car i hate dealing with the salesman i hate fucking test driving well, test driving can be kind of cool i hate the negotiations trying to deal with a new register just they're so many moving parts it's a very complicated process and i just wish i didn't have to deal with it i don't care I, you know if my prius still worked i'd just fucking drive it because it gets me to point a to point b i don't give a shit so do you want the rabbi to come back to life and to take you to the very back of the parking lot and to pick out a car for you that you did not want you like know the uh... <laughs> That, that was my car in high had? school. Not had an Impala, but it was the like Impala, not a not yeah. a cool Impala. It was like a 1978 Impala. But um, the rabbi actually loved buying cars. He loved looking at cars. The rabbi loved cars. I, I just never really gave a shit. Like if I if I live in a city like New York or somewhere where I didn't have to have a car, I wouldn't have a car. I think cars right. are paying the fucking ass, you know. And and plus, I never can get a car. Like I want a hearse or I want like a fucking Trans Am. I can't buy those cars. I have to like, I, then, like then it's like, I just don't care. I'll buy like a fucking ugly ass Prius, but it gets a lot of gas. You know, the gas mileage is good. But anyway, earlier this week, when I was trying to, you know, find topics for the show and I was prepping, prepping the show, I read about Frederick Newhall Woods, who uh, was involved in one of the most infamous kidnappings in the United States history. But a 70 year old, he's a 70 year old man. Now he is. I uh, was in prison for the 1976 Chowchilla kidnapping, um, where a bus full of children were kidnapped and buried alive. Um, he just got approved for parole. And I was reading about this guy and reading about some of the details, because I've always wanted to cover the Chowchilla bus kidnapping on the show, because it's a California story. And it's also kind of a, an exceptional kidnapping, if you think about it. It's just really bizarre. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, but I was reading about it, and I was just like, I would be a terrible kid. I can't even buy a fucking used car. Like, I, could, I don't even know how I would be a kidnapper. Like, robbing a bank does require a bit of planning, but you're in, you're out. You could time it where there's very few people involved, and you're just in and out. But a kidnapping is so much more complicated. I mean, you have to keep the victim or victims alive. You got to coordinate a ransom. You got to pick up the ransom. Then you got to deliver the victims. I don't know how the fuck Frederick Newhall Woods and his accomplice, the only two accomplices, kidnapped a bus full of 26 children. Like a mass fucking kidnapping. I think anyone could have done a better job with the situation than these three idiots. 
Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it just seems like, why would you try to do this? That's what I'm saying. It's like, I just, what would possess you to be like, oh, we could pull this off? Um, so, yeah, 70-year-old uh, uh, Frederick Newhall Woods was just approved for parole. Um, 19 times he's been denied since uh, he was in prison. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he just, he, he finally got approved for, uh, for parole. He was one of three men who kidnapped 26 children, their bus driver in Chowchilla, which is a small city um, kind of in central California. Happened more than 45 years ago. All three were uh, pled guilty to kidnapping, given uh, life sentences, 27 life sentences without parole. But both of his co-conspirators, one uh, got out in 2012, the other one got out in 2015. Woods, um, you know, was the last of the three still to be in prison. And he first became eligible for parole in 1982, but he's been denied every year up until just this past week. And so uh, the, the final decision... Or I guess the proposed parole decision by the hearing panel will become final within 120 days. But after the parole decision becomes final, the governor has 30 days to review the decision. Oh, Newsom. I bet he refuses because he loves so? turning it down. Well, he can only reverse parole decisions if the inmate was convicted of murder, which Woods wasn't. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Um, but, I mean, uh, the victims of the kidnapping who are adults, you know, still... Have, uh, have to live with the consequences, still have uh, like a lot of psychological issues from it. But it's a fascinating story. Um, just a bizarre kidnapping, a very complicated kid, a very ambitious kidnapping that I'm <laughs> yes. amazed that anyone would even try to embark on. Yeah. Uh, I, this one was so much fun to research. I really had a, a great time looking at it because there's so many pictures. You know, 1976, the media was just, oh, yeah. and this was a media frenzy as well. There's loads of interviews with the survivors on YouTube and there's lots of great and amazingly written like articles about this. But the one I liked the most was um, by Caleb Horton. Hello, Caleb Horton. I hope you're listening to me uh, on Vox.com. If you want to read more, it's really great. Yeah, that, that was a good one. Yeah. So on Thursday, July the 15th, 1976. So this was a, a year before Elvis was to bite the dust. Evil Knievel at this time, he was actually planning to jump a bunch of sharks i'm not even joking and we should totally do an episode about evil knievel at some point we should i've i always admired evil knievel even though i heard he's a real dick he's a con man as a kid though i mean he was just so pervasive and so cool and you know i grew up in the you know late 70s early 80s yeah he's your generation's hero Uh, i guess daredevil convoy was the number one hit we all know convoy (laughs) Everyone, CB radios at the time, they were hugely important. They will also be an important part of this story later. And it was on this date when around 4 p.m., a summer school bus that was full of 26 elementary school kids, they were about from the ages of 5 to 14, they'd been on a class trip to the Chowchilla Fairground swimming pool, which seems very educational and very lovely. It was brought to a stop by the driver, 55-year-old Pisces, Frank Edward Ed Ray. He was a rancher by trade and he was driving the bus for extra cash and because there's no one else in town to do it. Ed was reliable. Ed didn't talk much. He'd been married to his wife Odessa since the beginning of time. Odessa's a great name. Odessa's a great name. 
his nephew, Ronnie Ray, he was a retired newspaper columnist. He describes um, his uncle this way. He wasn't a tall man. He was 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, he was stout. He probably weighed about 200 pounds in his prime. He was barrel chested. My family is all built like that. You don't know where our chest stops and our belly begins. <laughs> Sexy. All the kids on the bus, they all loved Ed. They'd obviously spent a summer getting to know him. And it's a small town. He's patient. He's reliable. And this afternoon, the kids, they're all happy and chatty. So this is the first time many of them have even been to a swimming pool in their life. So you can imagine how excited they all are. It's as rural as it gets, but the kids would soon stop being rowdy. Ed had to stop the bus because there was a van blocking the road. And when he did stop, he was confronted by three armed men. They had nylon stockings covering their faces, which is a classic disguise, and one man came onto the bus and held a rifle to Ed's head. So I read that upon reaching the white van that was in the middle of the road, Ray at first attempted to maneuver around it, but then he was stopped by an armed gunman with the pantyhose on his head. And the guy said, would you open the door, please? (laughs) That's all he said. He was just like, excuse me, would you open the door, please? And Ray's like, "Uh, okay. Once the the men were on board, they ordered everyone to the back of the bus. The other intruder with the revolver, he drove the bus, and the third man followed behind in the group's van. They drive about a mile down the road. They park the bus in this kind of, like, thick bamboo thicket. Nobody's yelling, and uh, as, as Caleb said in his piece, it's so calm, it's violent. Everyone's sweating bullets is what I oh get my the God, Could you imagine? I mean, it's just so unbelievable to... to it's, it's incredulous to think somebody's going to steal, kidnap a bus full of children. Children. You just don't think it would ever happen. No, you, you never would. You, you never think that something like this could ever happen. Well, at the time, the kids and Ed, they didn't know that this was to be the biggest mass kidnapping in U.S. history. Still not been surpassed. Two years earlier in Berkeley, the SLA, they had kidnapped, uh, kidnapped heiress and soon-to-be John Waters actress, Patty Hearst. They've made her a counterculture icon. Charles Manson, he'd only been locked up for five years at this point. The Zodiac, Zodiac Killer, he was still stalking yeah, still in terrifying California. Then. And to begin with, many pe- people actually feared that this bus full of kids ha- that had disappeared had actually been the work of a serial killer, possibly the Zodiac. But there was also the theory that aliens uh, <laughs> had taken it. This is California. Well, that could happen. Yeah. Chowchilla was, and it still is. It's a relatively nothing town. Nowadays, it has two prisons in its townships. One of them's a lady prison. Its name actually translates in ye olde American tribes to murderers, which is pretty cool. Less than 20,000 residents live there now, and that includes the inmates at the prison. Back at the time of the kidnapping, only 5,000 people lived there. That's a tiny township. Most of them were Okies. It's located bang smack in the middle of the state. It's 150 miles south of San Francisco. It's sunbaked all year long. And it's actually democratic, which surprised me when I looked that up. I yeah, thought it's it kind of, it's, That's weird for the region, though, because like that whole yeah. area of Central California is usually kind of red. But um, Churchilla, to people who know, you know the state of California, it's like between Modesto and Fresno. So it's kind of yeah. in that like central. It's just that area that... There's no reason to even be there. Be there. Unless you're it's driving sun-baked. from L.A. to uh, San Francisco. There's no reason to be there. I looked at the weather reports for it, and it's just like this. It was just oh, red fucking all year long. Yeah. 
to say that a chowchilla is sleepy would be abusing an overused metaphor, but that's what I'm going to do. You can't stop me. You can't, can't tell me what to do. It's a town formed by the Great Depression. I'm pretty sure that Buck Owens like, wrote a few catchy ditties about it. Or Merle. You know, yeah, rural. It's definitely got a roadhouse. It's probably got some very good barbecue steakhouses. Everyone knows everyone. But no one knew what happened to that school bus that hot July day where it was actually so hot that lightning storms were rolling in. To hear the people of Chowchilla tell it, the reporters and the newsmen who descended on their quiet town, they treated the kidnapping like it was a winning lottery ticket and they trampled over them for their own mothers for a piece of the horrific and marketable tragedy. 26 children, one adult man, they had all vanished into thin air. So... The bus had been brought to a stop where there was a green van waiting. Twelve kids go into the white van. Ed and the other 14 go into the green van. There's a partition between the driver's seat and the windows. They're all sealed. It's hotter than hell and it's pitch black inside. You know, it was weird that the kidnappers forced the children to jump from the bus into the windowless vans. So they jumped like directly from the bus into the van oh, so right. they could avoid leaving footprints for the police to follow. And that, that's kind of why... You know, people thought it could be aliens because the bus just, it just seemed to vanish without a trace. So, I mean, Mm. they were definitely taking precautions like this and going out of their way to make it seem like the kids vanished, like it never happened. They were to drive in these vans for 12 hours, okay? So some of the kids sang songs to cheer up. So these are songs of your childhood, D. If you're happy and you know it, one of the most annoying songs of all time. We all know that one. Boogie Fever? Which one's Boogie Fever? I don't know if I know that one. I should have looked it up. Is it night and fever? the classic. Get down get tonight. Down tonight. Get down tonight. Imagine kids singing that for twelve hours. I would drive them off the edge of a. Yeah. What happened cliff. to the classics? Like ninety-nine bottles of beer on the wall. Don't they do that anymore? Again, I would have driven the children off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> it would have been the end of the kidnapping. It would have become a murder at that point. I'm pretty sure they had no food or water either. But I'm pretty sure all the kids were asking, "Where are we there yet?" I got to pee. I got to pee. I'm scared. Oh, my God. Because Ed was such a predictable person and he was so reliable, there's only 5,000 people in this town. The local residents, they began to worry immediately when the kids didn't come home. So 15 minutes after the kids had failed to come home, they were calling the cops to report them missing. By 6.30 p.m., despite the lightning clouds that were rolling in, the sheriff had a plane in the air to look for the bus. Everyone in town is on their CB radios asking if anyone has seen anything in the ground searches. No one did until later that night Later that night, when the sheriff finds the school bus. He finds it empty about a quarter of a mile east of uh, Pete Carnegie's dairy barn. And zero clues as to what has happened to everyone inside. People started crying. Ed's older brother, he went ghostly white and he couldn't move. Well, th- this is the part that must have freaked people out. Like, there's no footprints. There's no There's no evidence or indication that the kids were transferred to another vehicle. It just seemed like, here's an empty bus, no children. They're gone. Unsolved They're mystery. Gone. Robert Stack rolls into town. <laughs> yeah. When the bus was discovered, the parents, they all gathered in the town hall, and they started to hold a vigil. It's a religious town. They're reading Bible verses, because that's obviously going to find your kids. <laughs> In a much more helpful move, uh, President Gerald Ford, he sends a blank check to local law enforcement, as did the current Californian governor, Governor Jerry Brown. 
as the local law enforcement began searching the local area, they didn't have any clues that would actually lead them a hundred miles away to a rock quarry in Livermore. At 3.30 a.m., Ed, at this point, he had been awake for over 24 hours because he keeps a rancher's schedule. The two vans pull up and Ed is orders out, out first. One of the men asks him for his name. The other makes him take off his pants and his boots, which what? is quite why? saucy. Why would, they, why would they want his pants off? Maybe because they could have thought he could have been holding a knife or a pen knife and the boots has obviously got his shoelaces. And what kind of pants was he wearing? I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to see him in his skivvies. Mm, possibly. He's given a flashlight, not a flesh. I didn't say flesh. I said flash. Wait, did you say flashlight or flashlight? I said flashlight. Okay, because I was about to say that's <laughs> even weirder. They take his pants. He's in a bus full of children. They take his pants off and they're like, "Here's a flashlight." This is actually Harrison's dream: is that he'd been kidnapped, <laughs> <laughs> taken to a hole, and given a flashlight and told to get inside of it. <laughs> Sans the children. I don't think. Sans the children, of course. That. Just Harrison. <laughs> Ed is told to go down the hole that they were stood next to next to and below the ground. He can hear the men asking the children their names and all the children were forced to strip down what? also. I still don't get it. Why are they like making them strip off their clothes? Just to weep I mean, them hot, maybe. I guess. And it's plus it's going to be hot yeah. as shit. Maybe they knew that. The hole that they actually all crawled into, they all descended into, it leads to a buried truck trailer. It's 12 feet below the surface. Inside this makeshift prison, there were dirty mattresses, Wonder Bread, peanut butter, crisps, and water jugs. There were holes cut into the trailer, and these holes that were supposed to be like the toilets. Although how you could like shit or piss <laughs> in, in that situation, unless your sister yeah. could. Well, in this situation, it's got to be tough. So oh they God. just pretty much got the a, a truck trailer, buried it 12 feet into the dirt. Yeah. And then it, just they've uh, prepared. Yeah. And they prepared. They obviously had, pre- had prepped this um, and then just forced everyone to go inside. Yeah. And once all the kids are inside, they're a steel plate. They slid it over the entrance. It's weighted down by two 100 pound tractor batteries. All the kids, everyone's begging. They're screaming to be let out. Um, but Ed actually manages to calm them down relatively quickly. Uh, Jody Medrano, who was 10 at the time she was kidnapped, she says, I remember him making me feel safe. I remember he actually got into me because I swore. Mr. Ray said, you knock that off. I thought whenever we get home, I will be in so much trouble. That's when I knew I was going home because he made me have that hope. (laughs) This is when Ed starts to turn to like the hero of the century. I think I was swearing at age 10, weren't you? I think so. I was always allowed to kind of swear as long as we didn't do it outside the house. It wasn't a... My parents swore in front of us. Did the, the rabbi, rabbi swear in front of you? Very seldom the rabbi swear. He would say shit, but you, I, I, don't, I can count it on my one hand how many times I ever heard him say fuck or fucking. It was very rare. But my, oh my mom, goodness. she cursed like a sailor. <laughs> she, my mom used to love the swear, and she didn't even care that we did. But Stephanie... Stephanie is the one. Oh, that yeah, of, I love your sister. Yeah, I mean, I I know I would have I would have said like shit or fucker or something at the age of ten, but Stephanie by the age of eight, it just was normal for us to be at dinner or whatever, and she's like, "Fuck this, I'm not gonna eat this." <laughs> what or, a fucking con! Yeah, pass me some of that fucking corn. Like Stephanie did not <laughs> even care. <laughs> your sister has the British attitude towards it. Oh yeah. 
when they're inside this trailer, Ed, he was worried about the ceiling of the truck and you can see pictures of it. It was buckling underneath the weight of the earth. And in already he knew that they could not stay inside there for long. And he also had kind of figured out there was no obvious signs of airflow. There was no air flowing in or out. He didn't know how long the oxygen was actually going to last. Well, that's that's the thing. It's like these fucking rocket scientists, you know, kidnappers <laughs> that put them in here. How would you know, like how much out, how much oxygen you need for twenty six or twenty seven people? You don't know that. How would you know? Like, do you think they did tests for the weight on the top of this track tractor trailer? They don't. They didn't do that either. So it was actually a not. very dangerous situation. It, this easily could have turned into a mass murder. Yeah, it definitely. If, I think if it line. wasn't for Ed's quick thinking. Funnily enough, the police in Chowchilla, they get a call about 7 p.m. from an anonymous woman who's never been identified, who directed them to the quarry, and she said Livermore can become famous. Hmm. Later that same night, Mayor Jim Dumas's wife, she gets a call from another anonymous woman. The children will be found, but there will be others. It's not over. And despite the mysterious phone calls, the police had no idea why. There's no motive. There's no ransom note. The kidnappers actually did forget to deliver one. <laughs> Assigned to the case... Here is coming this badass, Madeira County Sheriff Ed Bates. He's name. as cowboy as you can fucking get. He is a cowboy sheriff. He's got everything that comes with being a cowboy. He's got the hat. He's got the bootcut jeans. He's got the western jacket, the bolero tie. And he's got a 45 long collar on his hip. He's a real tough guy. He's a Quentin Tarantino cowboy sheriff. I think now, he's so I, fucking cool. I'm picturing Ed Harris in Westworld if people have seen that. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stories about Ed Bates. You can look them up. So these are a couple of my favorites. When World War II broke out, Bates, who was a junior in high school at the time, he went to the Marine Recruitment Center because he wanted to be a master Bates with a forged family Bible claiming that he was born in 1923 instead of 1925 so that he could enlist and fight the Jerry Scub. I was in the Merchant Marines with German submarines trying to get me. I was in the Navy for almost 10 years with the Japs and the Soviets trying to get me. I've been shot at and they missed. I've been shot at and they hit. I've been cut with knives. A guy hit me across the back of my head with a two by four and I had to have a neck operation. <laughs> Badass, man. Another story goes that like when the fear of the Hell's Angels were, were, was at its heights in California, when they were roaming across the land, they made a pledge to hit Madeira County and they were going to take a specific route across a specific bridge that's under patrol of County Sheriff Ed Bates. Legend tells that he parked his squad car in the middle of this bridge. He gets out, he leans against the hood, casually uh, shouldering a shotgun. Funny thing is, is that the angels never made it past that bridge into Madeira County. And I think even if this story is complete print the myth, the take home lesson is that Ed Bates is a badass. And if anyone is going to find a bunch of missing kids and their rancher handler, it's going to be this guy. I want this guy on my side. Yeah, I would put my money on Ed Bates finding these kids. He said, my wife was with me. We were just getting in the car. We were getting ready to go out to dinner when the call came in that one of our deputies was checking the route of the Chow Chiller bus snap case. He immediately went down to the station. He's like, I ain't eating dinner tonight, babe. <laughs> I guess I'm a fundamentalist on this, he said early in the, in the investigation, but I can't help but think anybody who would do this, who would take boys and girls and kidnap them, whatever their motive, can't help but be psychotic. Whatever it is, 
is political, what, whether it's self-serving, I can't help but think it's psychotic. Well, definitely psychotic. <laughs> Just to even come up with this. Well, D, who would plan a crime like this? We're going to start talking about the players now. As mentioned before, we have Frederick Newhall Woods, the sixth. The sixth. He no, was 24 at the time. Frederick Newhall Woods, the fourth. Oh, the fourth? I have the sixth yeah. here. Whatever. Whatever. The clue is in the cunt's name in it because he has a number at the end of his fucking name. Doesn't matter what number that says to you. To me, he kind of looks like a goofy Lee Marvin. He's he's not unattractive. He does kind of look like Lee Marvin, actually. I'm going to look him up. He looks like a rich as fuck Lee Marvin, but not as attractive as Lee Marvin. Frederick Woods, he comes from an oil ranching family. This oil ranching family is still in business today. They make around 370 million every year. That's an idea of how loaded he was then and how loaded he is now. He was raised with fuck you man money in Portola Valley, which is one of the richest towns then and now in America. That's like Silicon Valley. It's right by San Jose. Right. Despite his crazy wealth, like any other incel, he was a loner. He's a hundred million dollar trust fund. Didn't even get the chicks flocking to the Swedo. He actually did eventually reluctantly marry someone, but the marriage like lasted just like months. It was less than like Kim Kardashian's marriage. His only sister, she is in the nut house. I actually couldn't find much information about his sister, but I think she might be mentally retarded and that's why she's in the nut house. Mm. Freddie's love, his only true love is actually cars, not he's, yours. He's kind of like Elliot Rogers. Like, is, know, I like, got like, Elliot yeah. Roger vibe from him too. Yeah, just this like weird, rich incel. Yeah. Freddie loves cars so much and he has so much money and he has so much time and so little friends that he often buys cars. He would park them out in the middle of the vast property that his family owned and he would shoot at them with a shotgun until they were just hunks of metal. That's how you, you know, like back then, dude, they didn't have the internet. What are you, what are you going to do to pass the time? You grew up without the internet. Hey, I know I've done this before too. I've shot up cars with a, <laughs> well, not a shotgun, until they were just hunks of metal. And a rifle. Is this yeah, your it's plan fun. for the Prius? It's fun. You know, you know what's funny? A quick aside here. Um, we we're trying to do my work because of COVID. I was trying to do like a team building thing. Oh, no. Because they kind of want people to like get back together and like come back in the office. So they're trying to organize this like team building event. Um, so one person's like, what about axe throwing? And that's apparently a thing now. Like, there's places that you can go that's throw That's been a thing axes. for years. What are you talking about? Yeah, but I've never noticed all these different, like, venues around town where you just go to axe-throwing things. But we're not doing that. What we're going to do is we're going to go into a room with a vehicle and be in teams and smash this vehicle up with a number of different, like, implements. That's better. But what, what, who cares? Why would you do this? That I'd rather do that than axe throwing. Well, I don't want to do either one. I'd rather just not even see these people and work remote in my own <laughs> fucking place with my pants off. Like I'm like now I gotta go and smash up a fucking used Hyundai with a fucking sledgehammer with like Susie from accounting. It's like what? I don't know. Susie from accounting needs to let her aggression out, and I think it will be amazing watching her let her aggression out. That, that will be hilarious when Susie just starts frothing at the mouth, just smashing the windshield of this fucking Hyundai. 
Yeah. I hate you, mother. I hate you, mother. <laughs> and you could stand there and go, it's okay. Like, uh, okay. So I did say that Freddie was a loner who didn't have many friends, but he did have a couple of buddies because you always do, even when you're a loner. Even Batman villain has probably some other weird friends somewhere. You think Boner villain is friends? I think he has some, you know, some friends that Mummy introduced him to. I think Boner Villain either has stuffed animal friends or real doll friends. <laughs> it's or, been a uh, while since we've heard from Boner Villain. I hope he's okay. I hope the COVID didn't claim him. Yeah, I miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. This is a story that is probably true to his heart. He can probably yeah. relate to a lot of I think of he could probably relate. To what the kidnappers are about to go through. So he did have friends who liked buying cars and also shooting at them. So this is James Jim Schoenfeld, who was 24. He was the son of a wealthy um, podiatrist and his brother Richard, who went by Rick. And they hung out at Freddie's house a whole bunch. They had their own little beef boy house, just like you and Jojo. Beef boys. Beef boys. Living in the beef house. See, it spans generations. Mm-hmm. Fred, like a lot of rich kids with a lot of money, he had several businesses. He was entrepreneurial and he struck one up with Jim where they would flip cars and another with a filmmaking major at San Jose State by the name of David Boston. The plan was that Fred would flip more cars and the profits would fund David project, David's projects. They would be producers together. In a letter to David, Fred writes that he has an idea and he thinks this idea would make a really good movie. In fact, it is an idea that's stolen from a movie, but we're going to talk more about that way later on. Freddie liked this idea so much that he talks about it, Jim and Rick. And it was actually here that the Chow Chilla kidnapping is born, is born and they flesh the idea out. Fred would be the natural leader, Lee Marvin. Jim would be the planner because he was great at keeping a coded diary. And Rick, you know, Rick, he's just along for the ride. He's just tag teaming with these guys. The logic boils down to that they needed to make multiple kidnappings so they could ask for multiple millions to fund, not the film company or any of their businesses, but so they could buy the Ferraris that they had been lusting after. They wanted Ferraris. Jim said, I wasn't going to commit any crime, risk my life or risk my reputation for anything less than a million. So a bank robbery wouldn't work. A drug deal wouldn't work with a, with a kidnapping. The state pays us a ransom. We're happy forever. All of our troubles are solved and we let the victims go. Everybody's happy. Well, well okay. Why, why not get the money from the one kid's dad, the oil baron? Because they only had like so much coming in through their trust funds. It wasn't like they were being given tons of money. They didn't have like a disposable income. No, they didn't have that. And they mm. wanted Ferraris because everyone's dri- driving Stingy them. Dingy parents. Jim makes this a big point in his parole hearings later on. So this is from James's notebook. This is how the free think that it's going to go down. They need a bus. They need a plane. They need free vans. One to get Fred and Rick to Chow Chilla for the hijacking and two more at a hidden location to transport the kids from the bus to the quarry. This is from his notebook. Rick and Fred will board the bus. Rick will disable the driver with chloroform and Fred will drive the bus to the hidden location where Fred keeps an eye on the bus. Rick will escort the kids two by two to the vans where Jim is waiting. Watch for kids making a run for it. Count the kids. (laughs) It's... So these are guys in their mid twenties. I can nearly forgive this, but this was like 16, 17 year olds, like Dylan and Eric style. I guess, but I mean, just to like 
to think they can pull off kidnapping 26 children on a school bus is insane. Well, the notebook continues. It says, conceal the kids, hide the vans, go somewhere else to collect the money. From there, Rick will get a plane to take James to a small, uncontrolled airport like Lodi, which is one of my favorite CCR songs. They'll meet Fred, who will hijack the plane. Then Fred and Rick load the dummies into the planes with parachutes and an extra parachute, of course. Jim is taking possession of the money. Thus, a state-employed secretary will be appointed to bring the money in free brown paper parcels and instructed to... And that's it. That's where the idea ends. So I do think that's quite smart of them. What they're going to do is they're going to like mock up a plane with the kids in, get the ransom brought then, but the kids will actually be in a totally separate situation, by which point, the you know, when the authorities discover it, they'll have jetted off to Vancouver Island or somewhere. It's still, I mean, that's smart. But what I'm saying, it's still very complicated. It involves a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that have to work yeah. together. <laughs> you know, he's There's a lot of supposition. He's thinking, like, this woman's going to show up, a state appointed with the money in three brown paper bags. The plane's going to be there without it's a, a movie. problem. The airport. Yeah, it's just like, come on, dude. You live in a dreamland. Well, the fact that they don't even finish their plan in the book, yeah. notebook yeah. <laughs> because says a lot. Well thought out. Another, another section of Jim notebook, which I would love to own this book, it details over general stuff that they had to remember to do. They had to remember to burn the notebook, which they forgot to do. <laughs> they had to get infrared to see at night, which they didn't get. They had to get a vote for Reagan. They actually spelled Reagan wrong and spelled it R-E-G-A-N, bumper sticker, so that they could be anonymous with their vans. Because well, apparently everyone was voting for Reagan. It's like getting a MAGA sticker. Yeah, at the time. Some of items that they had to do, they had to ask for used bills. Don't spend money for seven years. Get an x-ray truck with gas masks and lead vests. A microwave oven to foul bugging devices. They had to melt all plastic. And in the heaviest lift, uh, uh, they had to lift up to pick up the money using an illusion like magic. They forgot to like do all this shit. It was all just like a pipe dream. <laughs> well, at least they're planning it out. It's just I think it's really funny. No one it's followed like a bunch up of on any of these items. Yeah. This is like a James Franco and Seth Rogen film. Where it's like, and then we're going to invent a lift that can like lift up two million fucking dollars. This It'll is the great. Pineapple Express of kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. Over the fall of 1975, they are committed to it. They they buy everything they need. They buy free surplus uh, shore patrol vans in Alameda. They move them to a warehouse in San Jose. They go to Fred's Quarry, owned by him. They they bury a moving van. They're cutting holes for vents and toilets. They reinforce, or so they think they do, the ceiling with lumber so it won't collapse after it's been buried. Well, so wait, they bury the tractor trailer there. Not the tractor, yeah, it's like a, it is like a trailer. It's like it's big. They make homemade bulletproof vests with scrap metal. Fred rents a trailer in Reno for a safe house, and he gets a passport under a fake name, Ralph Schneider. So now he's turning Jew. He buys a printing calculator so that he can count all his money when they get their ransom. That was my favorite favorite part because that's like something I would do. Yeah, he's like, really I don't need it yet. He's planning far in advance for that. I'm very, very optimistic. After I read that, I went on eBay and I started looking at printing calculators and I was like, should I buy one just out of nostalgia? But I stopped myself. By December, they're ready. But it would obviously be a half a year later that 26 kids and a rancher would be buried wondering if they were going to die 
buried alive in a steaming tin can 12 feet below the earth. Ed, he was not going to let anyone die on his watch. Like the good sheriff Ed Bates, Ed Ray was also a badass. He's cool and calm under pressure, especially in an insane situation like this. He decided that they weren't going to ration the water. They were going to use it to cool themselves. Ed and two of the other older kids. So we've got 14-year-old Mike Marshall and 10-year-old Robert Gonzalez. They began stacking mattresses to reach the hole at the top of the trailer's roof. And they were taking it in turns to like push the manhole cover open. Mike said at the time he's not going to die without trying to get out. Ed is worried that the kidnappers might still be there with guns guns trained on them, but he's still helping them. He's still helping them get out. After hours of effort, eventually Ed and Michael Marshall, they managed to wedge the lid open using a piece of wood, and then they moved the batteries out of the way before digging through the dirt that was blocking through the entrance. So this is 16 hours later. Like, I just recounted that in, what, two minutes? Took them 16 fucking hours. Yeah, and I mean they were buried in like uh, you know this hot box for sixteen hours, so it's and not much food or food or water even because they're using the water just to cool themselves. So, yeah, I mean it's remarkable that they're able to do this: move two one hundred pound batteries and dig through what twelve feet of dirt. It's insane. They emerged. They walked out into the quarry at around eight p.m. that night. Obviously, this group of like half naked kids and a man, they alerted the attentions of the quarry workers. The quarry workers all gave the kids Pepsi. And there's a big thing about how in Chowchilla, Coke doesn't exist. It's a Pepsi town. The kids won the Pepsi challenge that day. (laughs) They earned that Pepsi. (laughs) They fucking did. Uh, The authorities were called. Ed and the kids, they were loaded into a red, white, and blue greyhound. They were escorted to the Santa Rosa Correctional Institution for food. They were, they had like, yeah, they were given new food, new clothes, and they had a health evaluation, which would read fucked to me. They're all fucked. Four hours later, about 4 p.m. in the morning, the greyhound pulled into the alley behind the police station in Churchill. Everybody whooped. They all hollered. It was an exciting time. Flashbulbs, they went off like gunshots and microphones were shoved in the faces. TV cameras were everywhere. And the parents, they ran towards their children. And who was last off the bus? Of course, got to be Ed. Ed came off. To begin with, when all the newsmen and everyone was shoving their uh, microphones in his face, he was quiet. He had just been interviewed by the FBI for several hours. But as they poked and prodded, he soon spilled the whole story. To Chowchilla, a town full of Southern Baptists, Ed had watched over these kids via the power of prayer and God. Mayor Dumas, he was already plotting Ed, Ray, and Children's Day, an event to honor him <laughs> with a parade. And seven... And a half thousand pounds of barbecued beef, because that's how they do it up in Chowchilla. <laughs> you got to have a parade with 7,500 pounds of barbecued beef, or uh, it just doesn't count. They even invited President Ford. <laughs> he was allowed to come down. Thank you for the checks. He loved barbecue, Ford. Dumas said letters in support of the idea had come from places as far away as Hong Kong, Brazil, and Australia. <laughs> they cared about the Chowchilla incident out in Australia. But the question of like how and why us and all of that, they lingered over the town soak of Churchiller. People who do this type of thing need to be prosecuted and hung on national television, said the father of one of the victims. Ed Ray himself said, I wouldn't let them live if I get a hold of them. I'm sure Ed Ray would have kicked their ass. Okay, but- badass. 
but, but so the, the weird thing is, and you I mean, you mentioned this before, that they never actually even gave the ransom note. They, they never even asked for the $5 million. What happened is the kidnappers have been unable to call in their intended ransom. They tried earlier, uh, but um, telephone lines, the Chowchilla Police Department, were all tied up by the media because everyone's flipping out. Families are flipping out, searching for their kids. So they never actually could get through to the police to leave a ransom note. And so they decided to... Uh, try in the morning and they took a nap and they went to sleep around July 16th and they woke that night to television news reports informing, informing them that the victims had actually freed themselves and were safe. Lol. So it was like, you know, they, they, they're, you know, they kidnapped all these kids. They put them in this, uh, this, this hot box tractor trailer buried in the ground. And now they found out that nothing happened. You know, that, that, that it was all for naught. You know who else uh, this reminds me of when Bobby Beausoleil, after they had killed Gary Hinman, he got in Gary Hinman's car and he drove the fuck far away. He drove like nearly 300 miles away and then he got tired and he was like, oh, I'll just take a nap in my stolen murder victim's car. And that's how he got caught. I think the, the moral of the story is, is if you're going to commit a crime, just like don't sleep. Yeah, definitely don't take a nap. But also, like if you're going to kidnap somebody, the first thing you do is send the ransom note. Yeah, I mean, they, they had all any these, means. Uh, yeah, they planned all this other stuff with the, the truck burying the ground and the water and the food and the mattresses. It's like, what about the fucking note? Five million dollars, <laughs> isn't that the whole point of this whole thing? Yeah, so you buy your fucking precious Ferraris. Yeah. To this day, it is actually unclear exactly what the kidnappers did after they had left Ed Ray and the busload of children. We only have their versions of what they say they did. We can kind of piece together parts of it, but it is rotundo as the plan in the first yeah. place. So they did get the fuck out of Dodge to begin with, which is smart, just like Bobby Beausoleil. Then they would stop off at certain points. They had at points along the way that they would agree to stop and ring each other. They met at midnight in the warehouse where they had stashed their vans. Jim and Fred, best buds, they headed for Reno before their final push to their new home of Canada. But Jim's brother, Rick who had never really been part of this gang. He was just along for the lols. Uh, he just went straight fucking home. He went back to dad. He already knew what he was going to do when he went back to dad as well. He just confessed everything. Great. He was like, hey, dad, guess what I did this weekend? His dad got him an expensive Jew lawyer. The vans were quickly found, along with about 4,000 pieces of damning evidence at the scene, and by the 22nd, Frederick Newhall Woods was officially a suspect. Well, I imagine, you know, they had all the clothing from the kids that they took. <laughs> right. You know, not to mention all the other crap that they put into uh, the, the tractor trailer there. And the notebook that they didn't burn. But keep in mind, the other, the other thing, too, is the quarry where they had buried the truck and where they put the kids, that belonged to Frederick Newhall Woods' father. <laughs> Like, don't you think there'd be suspicion there? It's like, okay, who owns a quarry? Oh, Frederick Newhall Woods' son, you know, the, the son. You know, uh, Who's a weirdo. Yeah, the, the weirdo. Who's now missing. The incel, um, you know, the uh, socially awkward uh, teen here, or 20-something, you know, he owns this, uh, you know, it's, it's his father that he owns a quarry. Well, that's kind of suspicious. Um, the other thing is, uh, uh, you know, uh, people... 
people that worked there said that Fred, Fred Woods had keys to the quarry and enough access to bury a moving truck there. Uh, he also witnesses saw all three men digging at the location months before the bus holdup took place. Imagine being a witness that, yeah, I saw a retarded Lee Marvin and his two friends burying something in the quarry for months. I, mean, I guess I would have, I mean, witnesses would be like, I don't know what it's the boss's son. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. But I mean, I probably wouldn't have thought that they're going to bury like 26 kids in there. Well, no, you never would. But you'd be like, yeah, yeah he was there for months. I, d- I done saw it. Now a nationwide hunt. It's on for Jim and Fred. There were sightings of them all the way out to Tennessee. James would later write the following in another notebook, a safe swear words for bad situations. But all I could think of was, oh, shit. (laughs) Jim was actually by himself at this point. Freddie had used his fake passport. He was already in Vancouver. He had checked into the St. Francis Hotel on Seymour Street, which is by the freight yards. He'd paid in advance and he'd asked the hotel manager if he could get some work. The hotel manager said that he seemed like a big dunce of a kid. He dressed like a cowboy and he grinned the whole time, which is also not unlikely Marvin. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with dressing like a cowboy. There isn't. It's very sexy and I applaud it for anyone who does it. Uh, H-bar-C rules. He didn't have much to do. He sat around the lobby. He wrote letters. He wrote one to David where he basically confessed and said... Uh, it would be a great movie and yes this letter would be used in court against him and he just you know waited for Jim to arrive again there's no internet on an FBI tip the Royal Mounties caught him out using his pseudonym with his letters they stalked out the Vancouver post office they waited for Fred to arrive and of course eventually he did when arrested and told that his bail was set at one million dollars the mastermind said it seems kind of high were the Mounties like waiting just on horses the whole time, just on horses? No, they were actually waiting. waiting in cars because this is Vancouver. But whenever you hear the word Mounties, you just assume they're on horses. Don't I you? bet you at least one of them had a horse. Probably a. <laughs> Back in Chowchilla, the criminals are under arrest and bailed the town. Kind of, they did hold a parade. Ed was the guest of honor. Later on, asked if he should have handled the situation differently. Ed kind of pondered it for a second, and he said simply. If it had happened again, I'd do the same things again, except I wouldn't stop for a van in the road. Just fucking plow through it. Later that night, someone drove by the jail and they shot out all the windows with shotguns, presumably to send a message and maybe to rattle the kidnappers. But Fred, James and Rick, they survived the night unharmed. Yeah, I would be worried about some mob justice, especially in a town of Chichilla. Oh, yeah, where they're all saying, let's kill them. Yeah. Let's string them up high. On July the 25th, 1977, Woods and the Schoenfelds, uh, they pleaded guilty on 27 counts of kidnapping for ransom without inflicting bodily injury, injury, reversing their initial pleas. In exchange, the prosecution dropped the 18 counts of armed robbery against them. For the five charges of kidnapping with bodily harm, so this is a crime that carried a mandatory sentence of life without parole in California, the free pleaded not guilty. As a result, now the case had to go to trial, and after the free waived the option for a jury, the decision as to whether they would ever be able to get parole was left to Superior Court Judge Leo Deegan. Trial ended on December the 15th in a half full court. The judge said softly that the children's testimony was pretty much enough. 
The level of terror they survived constituted bodily harm. They were sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. So Rick, he was released in 2012 and Jim was paroled on August the 7th, 2015. Both actually being described as model prisoners. Both had kept quiet, but at his last parole hearing, they've kept quiet ever since and never come, never done any interviews or anything. At his last parole hearing, Jim made it clear that all he was interested in was getting a car. I wanted to fit in with these new people that we'd moved next to, he said. And, you know, my pa- my friend's parents had twin Ferraris, his and hers, with telephones in them. <laughs> my dad lent me some money. I bought a Jaguar. I found out that the insurance was more than I made in a whole year. So two months later, I had to sell the Jaguar. I just figured that I needed the money, and that money would solve all my problems. I think he just didn't want to work. He just wanted a handout. Well, I mean, um, they're children of trust from babies. They don't, they don't actually know how to work, I don't think. They don't know how to go and, like, work in a supermarket and then go to university to get a job. I don't think they ever had to. Uh, so Jim Schoenfeld uh, later stated that despite coming from wealthy families, both he and Woods were deeply in debt. So they definitely, I mean, they spent so much money, way more money than right. they actually earned or had saved. He said, we needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. And we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them, and they don't fight back. They're vulnerable. They will mind. So it's like I think that's why they, you know, went for uh, went for kids. That's kind of cold and callous. But it makes sense. It's kind of like because at first it when you read sense, that you're like, cold and callous who, who, who kidnapped twenty six kids? It's like, well, they are probably a bit easier to control than adults. However, I mean, they are children. Um, in October 2019, Woods was denied parole for the 19th time, um, and uh, he finally uh, was he finally uh, achieved parole this past week. Uh, over the years, uh, reasons for the denials have included continued minimization of the crime, as well as disciplinary infractions for possession of contraband porn and cell phones. And so, this is in- interesting. In 2016. Uh, there was a workers' compensation lawsuit filed against Woods that revealed that he'd been running from prison several businesses, including a gold mine and a car dealership. <laughs> he loves so, his cars. Yeah, but it's crazy. Like The whole time, he was running these businesses from behind bars without notifying prison authorities at all. And he was the heir to two wealthy California families, the Newhalls and the Woodses. Uh, he inherited a trust fund from his parents that was described in one court filing as being worth around $100 million. So that's about $108 million, uh, in today's standards, today's money. Although Wood's lawyer disputed the amount, uh, yeah. he has married three times while in prison, and he purchased a mansion about 30 minutes away from the prison where he's planning to move once, he, once he's paroled. I wonder what those women wanted for him from him. Well, I'm sure prison. it's money, but it's just kind of like, it's so disheartening because it makes you wonder about, like, does the system ever work? It's like, here's this guy who kidnapped 26 kids, given, like, 27 life sentences. Um, you know, he finally gets parole, and now he's just going to move into a mansion about, you know, 30 minutes away from uh, the prison. What I kind of feel victims? that the two brothers, Jim and Rick, are a bit different. I feel that they were along for the ride and maybe swept up in his kind of ideas, but I definitely don't get that feeling from freddie i think freddie is a cunt personally no the guy's just a complete dick we're gonna talk about ed the hero bus driver he actually he's a real hum he's just a humble fucking fellow yeah he never accepted 
that he was a real hero. He died at the age of 91 in 2012 from cirrhosis of the liver, despite a lifetime spent drinking ice cold Pepsi because he didn't like alcohol. He's a Southern Baptist. He didn't drink. In his final days, he was visited by many of the school children that he had helped save in the, in the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping 35 years before. So in 2015, the Sports and Leisure Park in Chowchilla was renamed the Edward Ray Park. And every February 26th is Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla. This would be a great Pisces birthday for me because my birthday is the 21st. So we should go up on the 26th. And yeah, I kind of want to go to Edward Ray Day. Ed Ray Edward Day. Ray Day. Day. Who shows Ed up. Ray Day in Chowchilla. But what happened to all these children? You know, we're talking about how Freddie is a total cunt. What happened to the kids? I read a psychiatric study that was held four years after the event, and it found all the children were suffering from post-traumatic events. Of course they are. They all underwent treatment, but nothing could stop the nightmares or what was to come for them. Yeah, the, uh, the kidnapped children suffer from panic attacks, nightmares involving kidnappings and death, uh, personality shifts. Um, many develop fears of such things as cars, the dark, the wind, kitchen mice, dogs, and hippies. Not, not surprising. I also <laughs> and not Lee Marvin, because <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if one was like, I fear Lee Marvin. One, uh, one of these uh, kidnapped children shot a Japanese tourist with a BB gun. When the tourist car broke down in front of his home. Um, many of the children continue to report symptoms of trauma 25 years after the kidnapping. Uh, they suffer from substance abuse, depression, and a number have been in prison for doing something controlling to somebody else. Oh. So what was learned from the after effects suffered by the kidnapped children has guided the treatment of young victims of trauma since the kidnapping. Yeah, they've turned into a case study. So we have Larry Park, a survivor here. He says, by the time I turned 10 years old, I was just an angry child. Growing up, his anger often turned to rage. His parents, fearing that he was capable of violence, they placed him in a facility for youth offenders when he was just 15. By the time he was 21, he was using meth. I was smoking crack. I was doing acid and I was just angry. It's a bad combination. Michael Marshall, the hero who never quit digging in the underground prison, he left Chowchilla to become John Steele's destined job of a rodeo cowboy. And like all rodeo cowboys, he lost his way. Michael says... Never going to go well for a rodeo cowboy. (laughs) Never ends well for them. He says, I went to bed at 18. I was drunk, hungover, and blacked out. I woke up at 48, you know, with a hangover. I was blurry. But, you know, for Michael, he's now been sober for over eight years. He lives with his therapy therapy dog, Blue, saying, I rescued him before he was a year old, and now he rescues me every day. And the first time I read that sentence after doing hours of research, I welled up. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) when people say that about rescue animals, I was like, oh, this dog. And the dog is super cute, and it is like a mottled blue color. Oh, emotional support dog. There are pictures, uh, there's actually quite a few pictures of Jennifer Brownhide when she was a child. She's very striking looking. She's got short blonde hair and blue eyes and she gazes into this camera with a very like distant look. Uh, Now she's older, she's a wife, a mother, an executive assistant. She said until recently she couldn't sleep without a nightlight. I've had family in church, family and coworkers that have piece by piece helped me back together. I have anxiety attacks when I'm in a confined space. I'm fortunate I'm not incarcerated or hooks on drugs, which is how some of the kids dealt with it. 
I'm as okay as a broken person can be. I want people to know that the little girl that was kidnapped and buried alive has managed to live a wonderful life. So I read that in uh, 2016 when they had that workman's comp uh, trial, the 25 kidnapped children settled a lawsuit that they had filed against the kidnappers. The money they received was paid out of Frederick Wood's $100 million plus trust fund. And although the exact settlement was never actually disclosed, one survivor stated that they had received enough to pay for serious therapy, but not enough for a house in California. Not even in Chowchilla, I imagine. I didn't look at house prices there, actually. I did do a, I did do a Google Maps around the town. I was like, I would never live here. <laughs> no. I don't know why they stayed. I don't know why a lot of these kids stayed here. I would have done a, a Michael Marshall and become a rodeo clown. Yeah, but they, but they, you know, they're not moving into a fucking mansion. You know, like no. uh, Fred, Fred Woods, you know, sure, he's been in prison for a long time, but he's leaving prison to move into a mansion. Still has his $100 million trust fund. Hey, you know what? That mansion will still be a prison. He's not going to be able to leave it. And he's been in prison for so long on a terrible diet. It won't be long till he dies at all. Before I was mentioning the, the true motive, we know that they wanted Ferraris. But where did this idea come from that I said before? He'd seen a movie. This movie had left an impression on him. We both you and I watched these movies last year. We watched the entire series of them. So you remember the movie Dirty Harry, don't you? Do oh, it's one of my favorites. But yeah, I think uh, it was last year. I watched the whole series all the way up to both Deadpool. of us did. Yeah, it's great. You watched them first, and then you inspired me because I'd actually never seen the yeah, whole you'd series. Never seen I'd them. only ever seen the first well, one. I had never seen all of them. I'd seen most of them. I'd never, but I'd never seen like the Enforcer and the Jim Carrey one. <laughs> no, that's Deadpool. That's great. Yeah, I saw actually I saw that in the theater. <laughs> old because you're as old as Chowchilla. <laughs> yeah, this is as old I'm as you. <laughs> Freddie, he saw this. He saw the first Dirty Harry, a very impressionable age, and the scene where some guy Scorpio hijacks a school bus in the Bay Area, and he asks for ransom, and then a flight out of Santa Rosa before fleeing to a quarry, holding a kid at gunpoint made a very long-lasting impression of him. Now we know where this idea came from. Totally. It's an impression that would soon change the course of history for a bus full of kids on a blisteringly hot July day in the dusty one-horse town of Chowchilla, California. You know, it does make me wonder why they never made a, a full movie out of this, like Charles Bronson or something. I do know that uh, we're going to talk about the TV movie now, but I this is a movie that is worth more than a TV movie. Yeah, like so they made a two-hour made-for-TV movie on ABC in like 1993 called They've Taken Our Children, The Chowchilla Kidnapping. It had Carl Mel uh, Meldon was the bus driver at Ray and Julie Harris was Great his actor. wife. Great actor. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's cool, but I'm surprised they never made like a, an actual movie out of this. Well, we should TM it now and we should call it Won't Somebody Think of the Children? What about our children? I would have um, Sam Kinison. I would make him be alive again and he would be the Baptist preacher back home going, everyone pray for the children of Chowchilla. Who would play Ed Ray? Oh, I think Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going out on a limb here. Get a little crazy with the casting, but I'm thinking Mel Gibson. He is a hero. And uh, Michael Marshall, who's the oldest kid, 
David Faustino. I think we should bring back Bud Who's Bundy. David resurrect Faustino? Bud Bundy. Married to Children will resurrect his career. Oh my God, y'all get y'all getting too old for us now. D, no, I'm, I'm a millennial. Saying, Come on. You watched Married to Children. You I practically did, but I can't sit, remember him just, now. I had a you crush don't on remember Owl. Bud I remember. Bundy, the son. Yeah, I, had, I had a crush on Owl Bundy. I didn't have a crush on his son. I wanted I wanted Daddy. You remember Christina Applegate, Kelly? Yeah, I remember her, and I obviously Pe- Peg and Al. Peg and Al were like my dream situation. I thought they had the best marriage. Oh, I love Kelly Bundy, but anyway, um, but there are like a ton of videos and documentaries on this fascinating case. And I actually love the word Chowchilla. Let me just say, it's such a cool word to say. Murderers. I loved researching this one. When, when I first went into it, I thought, oh, like so many podcasts have done this. It's going to be a bit boring. I got so into it. I've always wanted to do it. Anyway, and people's episode it. eight. 37 here at Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not a Sick and Wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one. Have you guys ever nicked your, your like, when you're, like, uh, grooming, grooming down there? Have you ever, like, nicked yourself? Under your ball sack? Yeah, or sucks. just on your dick. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I did it recently. Oh, it sucks. It, it was like the uh, worst. It was like the worst ever. It's, and it bleeds. Yeah. Like Bleed. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. It's, you know, it's so you know Brocky? Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she was once shaving her pussy completely bald because it was the style of the time. And she took took off a chunk of flesh. God, Ooh. Jesus Christ. Where? <laughs> like from her labia? From her, no, the beef curtains, the outside beef curtains. It bled so badly, she had to wear like a sanitary towel for about two days. God damn. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, and it's good. Fucking yeah. Ugh. And it and it like as soon as you, it's it's so sensitive. As soon as it like does it, it's like ah fuck. Yeah, no, it yeah. hurts. And but you know what though, uh, it heals quickly. The genital skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It does heal quick, but it's still like there's a lot of blood vessels. It's like when you hurt your hand because there's so yeah, many yeah. blood vessels. It pisses blood. <laughs> For just $5, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. So we've got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. People, give us a call. We want your calls. want to hear from you. Let us, let us know how things are going in your life. You, cannot, you don't even have to call. You can email us. You can even send us a message through Facebook. Uh, SickRonPodcastGmail.com. Send us an MP3. There's a lot of ways to communicate with, uh, with your sick and wrong hosts here. Um, the first call we got in here is from a, a, a guy I don't recognize. I think his name is Chud, but it could also be Judd. But I'm thinking it's Chud. Uh Chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Exactly. Chud. I think it's that. Love that film. My favorite part of that film is the totally unnecessary tit shot. There are kind of there were there more. T- it wasn't was it the tit shot on a chud. I wish, and then I would have been really <laughs> wanking. I'd have wanked my clit after that bit. Well, anyway, this chud calls in about Disney. Yeah, D and This is Chud. I wanted to tell you guys about my Disneyland experience. Wait, did he say Chud or Judd? He said Chud, and 
I don't care if he said Judd because he is now called Chud. It's one of my favorite all time films. He he is being called Judd. I that's pretty much what I thought. I think he said I'm gonna rewind it, but I'm pretty sure he said Chud. Chud. Yeah, D and Kate. This is Chud. Chud. I wanted to Definitely tell Chud. you guys about my Disneyland experience. Uh when I was a kid, oh about seven or so, my sister was nine, parents decided to go to fucking Disneyland. And they left us at home. They went by themselves. <laughs> uh, they did bring back some uh, Mickey Mouse ears for us, but they put them up in a right. closet and let it, never let us wear them. What a Sexy. couple of fucking cunts. Anyway, <laughs> keep it tick, keep it wrong, and lick my balls. Wow, Chad nice. harbors some resentment still. That was a classic phone call. That's probably one of my favorite phone calls ever. He harbors That's what some I'd resentment. be like as a parent. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going here, and guess what, you little fuckers? You're staying here. I wonder if uh, Chud's therapist is just like, okay, how does Disneyland make you feel? He's like, I just want the goddamn mouse ears. He doesn't want those mouse ears that his parents use for sex. He doesn't want them. Oh, do you think they were hidden away because they use them for sex? Fuck yeah. I think his mom is Minnie and his dad is Mickey, and he plows into her. God, that's weird. Didn't your parents go there? Yeah, but I, I drunk dead. Well, no, you weren't even born yet, were you? Yeah, no, no we went. I, I was telling you these stories when we went around. When we went around Euro Disney, because we went on the haunted house mansion. I, went to Euro, my, but I thought your parents dad. went to Disneyland. No, no. Oh, yeah, they did. They went to the California one, but that was yeah. for their honeymoon. And my dad it doesn't like going on the rides, but my mom loves the rides. My mom that... loves a good ride. <laughs> Okay, but don't you think it's a bit weird to go to Disneyland on your honeymoon? They did a whole California adventure, and then we had relatives in Vancouver. So they went all the way from the bottom. They went from, like, San Diego up to Vancouver. They, did, they took, like, a month to do it. Wow, that's a long way. That's I guess they cool, didn't, okay, they didn't specifically go to Disneyland for the honeymoon, stay in a Disney hotel, and then fly back to England. No, no. It was just they, part they of their Disney. California They did trip. a couple of days in Disney. Cause obviously, back then, it was a total novelty, novelty as well. This is like 1981, so the park had been open for about five years. Ugh. No, longer than that. The park had been open longer than yeah, that. Yeah, since it was still a fucking 60s, novelty. right? It was like 25-year anniversary or something that they were there for. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how often that happens, though, that the parents are just like, hey, we're going to Disney. Oh, we're going to Disney, not you. So... Have fun staying with, you know, Aunt Shirley. We're going to go to Disney. I can kind of see it. It's so fucking expensive. Why not? And plus, like, you got to yeah, have time. Yeah, but why would you go there without your kids? I can see why you made question go why we went kids. there. <laughs> we were there free. As, a, it was to, free. as an experiment. Uh, a social experiment. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why you would go there as an adult with uh with your wife. My main thing is why have children? This is this is 2022. No one needs to be having children nowadays. Have abortions, don't have children. It's m- well, much think, healthier, uh, safer for the environment. I think you should have children so that they can eventually be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and call a <laughs> podcast talking about necrophilia. That's why you have children. <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, D. It's your favorite borderline caller, Christina. I hope all is well. Um, I wanted to jump in on this hot topic of necrophilia versus cannibalism. 
Love it. I, uh, I haven't heard. So this is a long time debate on the Patreon. I don't recall exactly how it started. This is probably the biggest argument that you and I have ever had. Of. We argue about a lot of stupid things. Um, we bicker. We have a bicker, but yeah. I would say this is now turned into an argument. But this is, yeah, this is like, so I'm trying to think the gist of the argument was you don't think there's anything wrong with necrophilia. Like, it's completely fine. Who cares? No yes, victims. you're dead. I don't think there's anything wrong with necrophilia or cannibalism. Or cannibalism. You think it's fine. Just the dead body is just a shell. You could do whatever the fuck you want to it. Once you are dead, because I don't believe in heaven or a hell or anything like that. Once you are dead, you're fucking dead. You're just a piece of flesh. You're no better than a piece of steak sat in a supermarket. See, but my- you, you seem to have a different kind of. No, uh, okay, you seem no. to have a bit more genteel. No, it's not a genteel thing. I'm not saying that I think there's like an afterlife and your soul is your 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 precious. You're more precious. No, what I'm saying is that we live in a civil society. And we have we rules about fucking corpses and eating the flesh of corpses. We have rules about that because you, once you start breaking down civil society, then you get towards like, you know, an apocalyptic world where nothing matters. I suppose if like, you know, there was a zombie invasion and the zombies were eating each other, eating people, yeah, and stuff like that. Sure, you can go fuck zombies then. But at I this point, think, we live think- in a civil society. We have rules against this. The gist of it is, is that if we tasted good, we'd all be eating each other and there'd be no end to it. But you obviously don't taste good. I know. I, I think people I think people know better than to eat each other and fuck, fuck their dead you know, relatives. Any hole is a goal, mate. The actual episode, yeah, I just saw the post. So maybe I'll change my mind after hearing it, but I don't think so because I, I thought a lot about what I want to happen to my body after I die. Um, and I, I have to say... Some disgusting, pockmarked, pimple face, which isn't fair. I get pimples too. But I'm just thinking from dudes I would never want to talk to in real life, not because of their external appearance, but mostly because they are the type of person that sucks. Corpses, I wouldn't want them fucking me. And I like to think of, like, the headlines of when my body is discovered. And to me, I feel like there's something more romantic about being eaten and having, like, and not that I want this. Don't call it. Wait, wait. She's against the necrophilia aspect because she wouldn't want some gross, disgusting person fucking her. That Which she I get. I, I totally understand this. I know where she's coming from. But the cannibalism part, she actually thinks is kind of arousing, like romantic. Yeah, because okay. somebody wants to ingest you. It is kind of, I get it. It's kind of like the German guy that cut off that dude's cock and then they cooked it up and ate it together. Well, that was a total sexual thing, wasn't it? It was like, so they could get off on each other. Which, again, is very... Gross. Yeah. Out there, don't you dare get any fucking ideas. But I... I, There's something about, you know, like, Christina was lovingly taken apart bit by bit. Her heart eaten. You know, maybe my head's wrapped in, like, gift wrapping in the freezer. Uh, I'm strewn about everywhere. Something about that. <laughs> well, she's making it seem like this is like idyllic experience. It's like very romantic situation. I get it, well, but it is. That's what Jeffrey Dahmer did. He treated all his victims like he were, they were very precious dolls. That, and he that was, fucking gross he pervert was like shoving so tubes did Ted in Bundy. their head. Ted Bundy kept his favorite vaginas in his 
He, he like severed pieces of it. I don't think he was all that respectful of Cortez. You know, saying that's not romantic for a man to be like, "This is my favorite vagina, and I'm going to put he it." He's trying to make zombies out of them all. What well, the one thing? I don't know. I I just don't. I think if like you're going to be eaten, it's not going to be this romantic thing where it's like we prepared a feast, the feast of Christina. It's not going to be like that. I think what's going to be like is just a bunch of desperate because people you... just ripping out chunks of flesh. Because they need it for nourishment. Oh, that's how you want it. But to me, necrophilia is is someone going like, you are dead and I want you so badly that I am just going to eat you because well, I cannibalism. can't handle it. Necrophilia would be, I'm just going to fuck Oh, yeah, you. sorry. That's cannibalism. Yeah, yeah. Laugh. It makes me giddy. Where I feel like <laughs> uh, if I were to be talked about in the news as being like my dead decomposing body anally raped and all that shit i feel like that's just not a good use of a body i think it's coming down to utility like it actually makes sense to be eaten like use my body eat it eat my fucking body so that's it that's my two cents what do y'all think all right bye I mean, I guess I could see that there's there's nutrients there. I mean, it's you know you're. Let's you're bring the, the debate back. We are just flashbacks, like D. But yeah, just because we're intelligent as shit doesn't mean that we're not just calories at the end of the day. But she's saying that it's a like a bad use of a body to fuck the body. When you're dead, yeah. Yeah, but what if? Okay, what if someone okay. like plastinated her corpse? And just oh. put some lube in the holes and just now has a real doll, a real Christina doll that they can just fuck every now and then. How is that a Wait. bad use of a body? What if, what if, okay, what if this was your boyfriend or your husband and then you died and then he had your corpse plastinated and could still fuck you? Are you objecting to me doing that to your corpse? Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, is that, I think that's a good use of a body. Is that I'll plastinate you and just carry on using you as a fuck toy. <laughs> as just a real doll. Yeah, it's like I'll this like, fleshy doll. Jojo, let's include D in the conversation. Beef boys. Would you get like some taxidermy eyes? Put them in. I'd get the googly eyes. <laughs> the googly <laughs> that look eyes. here and there. <laughs> and I'd put totally like a Neil Diamond dish wig on you. I'd be like, he's not in black, but I can dress him how I like now. I'm still, okay, I still maintain my position that we have civil society. We're in a civil society with laws to respect uh, people who are, no, who are deceased um, and to, uh, to, to just to, to, to maintain civil decency. Like, you're not going around fucking corpses and eating just random dead people. I just like, say it, that there just, are way, way, way worse crimes out there than that. Uh, no, I could say that. I I could agree. I'd rather have somebody rape a corpse than a living the murder, person. Murder a yeah. child. Yeah, yeah I'd, no, I'd much I'd much rather have that happen. But at the same time, it's like I do think we shouldn't be we shouldn't condone it and be like, oh, it's fine. Just go rape as many corpses as you want. There's a reason why we we have a civil society with laws like that. I'm speaking on behalf of myself and Ed Gein, who I feel like I can speak on behalf of because he's dead and I am not and you know what it's okay it's just okay necrophilia is not okay people <laughs> it's never okay all right um thank you Christina always good to hear from you people Loved give us a call it. 323 522 
402-464-4032. Leave a message on the sick room. Leave a message. Also, wow, second show was insane this week. Um, it was a hell of a second show. We had a special jo- guest, jo. JoJo Kelly, on the show. Actually, JoJo Kelly also did news this week, too. Um, but we do get an update on uh, JoJo Kelly's current love life. Um, he met a girl on, on Hinge who could be trans. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, you know, the jury's out on that. I'm not 100% sure she's biologically female. Um, Well, she goes by butt rock Barbie. Kate calls her butt fuck Barbie. Um, But he's, he uh, was planning to meet up with her over at the rainbow. So Joe's in town doing some tattooing and uh, he met or he uh, matched with a girl on hinge named butt rock Barbie. And so he's planning to meet up with her at the rainbow. So we talk about that. We also talk about another girl that he was dating who had sat in his lap and he ripped a fart. Like, I guess she thought that it wasn't going to smell and it made everything really awkward. And he just didn't say anything. He didn't say anything about it. She, she heard it. She smelt it. She like was like her face was disgusted and uh, there's no one else sitting around. Like it was just, there's no one sitting around them. There no dog that he could blame it on. And he just didn't say anything about it, making it really awkward. Jojo would hit you if he was here right now. (laughs) And then Kate Rambo (laughs) said that that's completely normal in the north of England. Like, that's normal behavior. I would hit you if I was in the same. Me and Jojo (laughs) just hitting you both. Why are you bullying both of us? We also got an update on Stinkor. We did get an update about Stinkor. Anyway, a lot, lot going on there on the second show. So go get double the, double the pleasure, double the fun. You get two shows for, uh, what, the price of one? Uh, yeah, that goes, that should be the new, the new tagline, two shows yeah. for the price of one. Reminds me of when I was a strip club DJ doing the Blue Light special. Two dances for the price of one. Two for one. Double the fun. A twofer. Bigger the bills, the bigger the thrills, people. Uh, but yeah, second show. We do a whole other second show every week on uh, Sick and Wrong, and uh, it's a good time. Um, and for a few bucks more, you get the Sick and Wrong News segment. Jojo Kelly is also on the news. Uh, this weekend, we talk about the Grammy weekend in gross-ass Las Vegas, <laughs> which is turning into a complete and utter nightmare. Um, a heartbroken Will Smith who uh, quit the Academy. Kate we is have gutted. Opinion. Kate is gutted. No, um, I'm not. <laughs> and Russia is launching its own version of Instagram. So uh, there's a few stories that we covered there on the uh, Sick and Wrong News. Just go to patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today. Support the show. Uh, we do appreciate it. It was a rough month on Patreon this past month. <laughs> yeah, a lot of... we basically only make this show because of the patrons. So well, yeah. Just... Well, I mean, I do it so we, you know, we're being supported on the show. Like, I'm going to make it so, you know, for the people who support us. Obviously, exactly. you, you support you support the art you like. If you like art, you support it. You buy a record for a band you like. You know, give a couple yeah. bucks on Patreon for podcasts you like. I, I think it's pretty normal, actually, and it, and it helps helps keep the show going. So, patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today um, and support your podcast, your favorite podcast hosts. Um, also, if you want some merch, you can go to the uh, T Public store. Uh, stick around podcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. I want to try this weekend, make a couple new shirts. I want to make a stink or shirt. Um, Are you going to make the other Jojo shirt that we talked about in Las Vegas? You have to jog you my memory. <laughs> about him being a cherub. 
I have no recollection of this. Oh whatsoever. my god, can you remember? We, I know we were kind of. It was like two in the afternoon. We were already drinking again. But we were talking about because Jojo had that intruder in his uh in his flat, and he was telling him he was like, "Yo, guy, where you going?" I mean, like, Jojo is a cherub of just. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. Now there's he had a a guy that came into his building, like a homeless guy. <laughs> It was like, yeah, I don't know George, if he's, yeah, and Jojo was walking out and was just like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Where are you going? And the guy's like, <laughs> what the guy's telling him, like, fuck off or something. No, the guy's going, I'm going upstairs. I'm going upstairs. Jojo's like, there's nothing upstairs. Where are you going? Yeah, Jojo's like the cherub of justice. Yeah, cherub of justice. Um, We're going to make that t-shirt for Jojo. I'm going to make yeah. a stink card. And a stink card one. And then I have this other Satan shirt I plan to make. Anyway, it's going to be on the Tea Public store soon. Uh, finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. There's actually a song about the Chowchilla bus kidnapping. Kate found it. A guy named Kent Morrill wrote a song called The Ballad of Chowchilla Ray. And did you know, as an extra bonus fact to this song, I could not find the version of it anywhere. And I, I have a country group on Facebook and I asked them. And no one has the seven inch of this. So I think it's a very rare seven. So if you're in the south of America, if you're in Texas, Arizona, you'll probably find this for like 20 cents. The but Ballad of Chowchilla Ray? Robert Goulet, as in the Robert Goulet that Elvis Presley shot the television out because he hates Robert Goulet, covered this song. And I cannot oh, wow. for love nor money find the Robert Goulet version. Hmm, I'm going to have to look for that. But we're going to end the show with the Kent Morrill version. Robert Goulet. Sorry. Anyway... People will be back next week with episode 838. Till then, take it sleazy. There were three stops done on the school bus run when he found himself looking at a stranger's gun and they said, don't move, mister, there's more than one. He thought he'd never see another ride. In the two old vans, one black, one white, they packed old Wed and the kids up tight. And with them all screaming a terrible fright, they drove off to the coming night. They traveled far, and he didn't know where. He thought they were soon going to run out of air. Finally, they stopped, and they got a scare by that hole in the ground that shouldn't be there. But old Ed Ray kept his cool that day. Did everything that they would say He knew one wrong move and they'd shoot away And one dead child was too much to pay One might have ended in an endless nightmare One might have ended in a massive grave Was saved by the hand Was the man There's some kids that like to thank him Get them free 
Even as he heard the dirt and debris cover that hole where they might always be, but Ed don't give up easily. So Ed and the boys started digging away. Some of the kids knelt down to pray. They dug it out with a wooden brace as the sweat and the dirt clotted on his face. As that day was about to quit, the lead finally crawled up out of that kit. Chavez and Brown helped quite a bit, but he kept his pledge they were out of it. What might have ended in an endless nightmare? What might have ended in a massive rain? Received by the hand was the man. And listen, kids would like to thank him. hard to believe that men could act that way when innocent children are the ones that pay but we all look forward to that day when there'll be a lot more men like Chow Chilla Ray What might have ended in an endless nightmare What might have ended in a massive grave Saved by the hand What might have ended in an endless nightmare? What might have ended in a massive grave? You see by the hand of that bus driving man. Hi, this is Bob Madigan, and you're listening to Sick and Wrong. Perfect. (laughs) So you can bank on that.